Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast. Melina and I are so excited that you're here. If you're already a subscriber to the show, you are awesome. Honestly, your support means more than you know. And if you just stumbled upon our little corner of the interweb over here, hello. Make sure you hit that subscriber follow button. We release new book deep dives every Tuesday. Okay, time to get lost in a world of magic, romance, and adventure. Let's go. Welcome to the Romanticy Fangirls podcast, the show where two cousins do a deep dive into your favorite fantasy romance novels. We're talking chapter summaries, characters, lore, theories, and more. Thank you for joining us for our very first episode. I can't believe we actually made it. I can't believe it either. We've had like technical difficulties and all kinds of stuff, and here we are. So I feel like we've been holding our eyes open with toothpicks and running on trendy vanilla sweet cream cold brews for weeks. Truly, truly, but it's all been worth it. We made it through the work week, and now we're here. Now we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. But before we dive into today's episode, please listen closely to our content warning. Most importantly, this episode will contain spoilers for House of Flame and Shadow and all of Sarah J. Mass's other works, including Throne of Glass and Akator. We may be focusing on the prologue in chapter one of House of Flame and Shadow today, but we're bringing the whole mass universe into the conversation, especially when you talk about theories and predictions. Yep. So this includes anything SJM has ever said. It's all on the table. Right. So if you don't know why we're still laughing every time we talk about a vacuum, finish the first two books in Crescent City and come back to us. We will certainly be here when you're done. Absolutely. And number two, this podcast is rated R. We at Romanticy Fangirls are adults who say adult things and talk about adult themes about adult books. So if you're not into that, totally cool, but this isn't the podcast for you. Correct. And if any of our family is listening, which we are certainly hoping not, uh, we're sorry, but we're not sorry. So you've been warned. If you know me, no, you don't. I'm adding in here uh, a disclaimer about pronunciation. I will not be held responsible for incorrectly pronouncing any of these characters' names. It's the way it goes. When I'm reading, they're in my head. I haven't said them out loud yet to the world. So here we are. Yeah, just so you know, we did not YouTube how to pronounce these words ahead of time. So how we say them, when we read them, is how we say them. And lastly, before we jump in to House of Flame and Shadow, episode one, if you love Romantasy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood... If you want more content, more bookish community, discounts on merch, early access to episodes, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or in our YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes. We hope you enjoy it. Absolutely. And now it's time to dive in. Yeah, girl, let's do it. This episode is going to be a little bit different than most because hey, you want to know who we are, who you're listening to, um, and why you should listen to us. So let's start with introduction. So my name's Callahan. I go by Charlie as my nickname. And if you're wondering, I'm married with two fur babies. They are Bernice Mountain Dogs, also Ooh. Charlie and Thor. And I have a horse named Henry. I'm also addicted to cold brew coffee. Not iced coffee, ma'am. Let me tell you that. Just cold brew. <laughs> uh, let's put that out there. I've loved reading ever since I can remember. Mostly historical fiction, traditional, high, and epic fantasy. And it wasn't until about, was it 2009 or 2010, Melina? I can't remember. When my yeah. dearest cousin here introduced me to a little-known series called Throne of Glass. And... Honest to God, I took one look at that massive stack of books and I thought, yeah, no, not doing it. This is too too young for me, too many pages, too much of a commitment. But yeah, I started reading anyway. And I started with Assassin's Blade. So we'll jump into the preferred reading order of the mass verse on this show. Don't worry, you canon fanatics out there. <laughs> and I fell in love with Selena and Sam. Side note, I do 100% ship Aelin and Rowan, but my heart has truly never fully recovered from Sam, RIP. Whose has? Whose has? Yeah, come on, SJM. That really just, that one really, I never got over. But, and I've truly never been the same since, and I'm not one bit sorry about it. Since then, I read every SJM book she's released, including Throne of Glass, Akatar, 
and now Crescent City. Uh, I've gone down the rabbit hole of dark romanticy and dark romance, and I'm not going to come out. So I would say I'm the more quote-unquote stable one of our duo, and we'll get to what that means. But uh, Melina may completely disown me and disagree with that one, but that's okay. No, I love it. I love it. That's fair. That's a fair thing to say. Uh, I love all the back-end stuff of producing a show, as well as really diving deep into chapter summaries. Uh, We're going to do the thoughts and theories together, and which in this show, the summaries are going to be called The Anchor. We'll get into that a little bit later. And yeah, your turn, girl. Right. So I'm Melina. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit spicy, as my friends and family call me. Yes, we we love our cold brew coffee. I am a Chipotle girl, so I, I also have that going for me. Um, I mean, my, doesn't I, true, true, right? I've been a reader uh, my whole life. I always, always, always had a book or two on me. I was the nerd in school, but I was taller than everybody else. So that that kind of gave me a leg up. I didn't get didn't get pushed into any lockers. So that was handy. Uh, tall girls, because you and I are both tall. So any yeah. tall girl listeners out there, we're your people. Seriously. And all of the good and weird things that come with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anyway, I've I think I've always really been drawn to fantasy. Um I read the entire Lord of the Rings series in fifth grade, which is just ridiculous, quite frankly, but I did it and loved it. I reread Harry Potter every year. Um, but my I think my true passion for fantasy books really started when I found the Tamora Pierce series. The first series of hers that I found was Protector of the Small Quartet. And it was the first time that I saw, other than, I mean, Hermione gave a lot of us girls, um, a character in that series to look at. Um, But it was really the first time that I saw myself in a fantasy series, you know, Kel's becoming a knight. And it, it absolutely changed my world. I, of course, then bought every single Tamora Pierce book I could get my hands on. Um, And then with her as my foundation, I was just so lucky to be able um, to stumble upon Sarah's books. I think it was, I have to go back and check. I want to say it was like maybe 2012. 2013, I think. Yeah, because you got them when they like were only what, like Throne of Glass and then on a midnight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I know there's people who were very, very early, but I do pride myself on being on the early, early tier. You're on the early side. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that was, that's my claim to fame in life. I did, I did hop on this train pretty early, but I'm just so excited. I cannot believe that we have this many books from Sarah. I love every single one of them. Um, And I love that the fantasy genres expanding. I mean, we get to have a space for uh, romanticy in that series and just how how the genre is really growing is so cool with diverse authors and characters. And I mean, middle school Melina could never have imagined being here today reading what we're reading with all of the spice in it and the smut and the magic and the the strong female characters. I'm just here for all of it. So of course, we had to we had to hop in here, and this is our this is a passion of ours. So I'm so glad we get to do this. Yeah, and the fun thing is, like, we don't always agree on books or what happened. Not what happens in them, but <laughs> usually Melina's more up on that than I am. But yeah, we don't always agree, and we see things you know that the other doesn't see, and so we're constantly like texting and laughing, and you know just swooning over these characters so yeah we definitely feel like we earned our chops for you to listen to us and all things sjm and romanticy and let's get house of flame and shadow melina absolutely let's do this awesome so i am gonna start off with our chapter summary otherwise known as our anchor um so we thought it would be nice or at least helpful in this first episode to start off crescent city three to kind of recap a little bit of the ending of Crescent City 2, House of Sky and Breath. So if you remember back then, the beginning of that or the end of that book starts off with our team of misfits, which is our girl Bryce Hunt, aka the Umber Mortis, who was recently mated with Bryce, Rune, Cormac, and Therion. 
The five of them travel to the Eternal City where they head to the Crystal Palace, which is the epicenter of the Asteri. Creepy, creepy. They've gone there to discover the secrets of the Asteri that were revealed by Sophie Renast, R.I.P. Sophie. And our boy Rune is worried about the mission and his loss of his connection with Agent Daybright, who was also Sophie's contact for the Rebellion, who is actually a double agent in close uh, connection with the Asteri. And so he plans to look for her in the palace while they're there. He then drops a bomb on our girl Bryce by telling her that she outranks dear old dad in power and that he'll support her in a coup if they make it out of this place alive. Nothing like um, just giving your your sibling some massive news before attempting to <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'd be like, so is that, it, Yeah, I mean, it, that's such a guy thing, though, right? Like, I mean, just totally. not thinking ahead, not processing, and just spewing shit out of your mouth at the most inappropriate times. Oh, my gosh. Like, right. We just, we're in the Eternal City. We're about to go on. We're probably not going to live too much longer. But hey, here's some massive emotionally traumatizing news that is helpful. Sure, it's positive. That's right now is when you decided to tell us. Thank you, Rune. Yeah, why not? Love that. You know. (laughs) Uh, So once inside the palace, Bryce heads to the archives and begins to look for the door with the number that Sophie had carved into her arm before she RIP'd. And then this is where she discovers there are seven pipes of first light with seven plaques, one for each of the Steri. I'm not going to read off their names because I'm going to butcher them and nobody's going to come at me for that. So each plaque (laughs) displays a power level. For each of the Asteri, and the Asteri nom-nom on the first light that the veneer give when they make the drop. That's incredible. Slimy yet satisfying. I love your subtle Disney references, Lena. Of course you do, us Disney girls. Yeah, side note, we are huge, huge Disney fans. So any Disney listeners out there, you are also our people. So we will throw subtle references in anytime we can. All the time. All the time. We'll try to keep, I'll try to keep it to a minimum, but I'm not going to promise anything. I mean, you know, it's our show, so we can do whatever we want. It's true. I love that for us. So the thrones that the Asteri sit on act as the magical version of charging stations, and they steal power from the citizens of Midgard. And that's the big secret that Sophie had learned and used as leverage to have the rebels help look for her brother Emil. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, our boy Rune has left the rest of our team to go off in search of day. And as he enters the prison section of the palace, he's quickly discovered by Mordok, who, if you remember, is a dreadwolf, also the father of Danica, currently working for the Asteri. Big yikes. Big yikes. Especially with Mordok's powers that he has. Rune's over to currently. Rune. (laughs) <laughs> this guy, like, can never catch a break. I mean, I love him to death, but, like, Same. honestly. I mean, we'll get into that in, in House of Flame and Shadow. I think he... <laughs> anyway, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> Bryce then enters a room titled Dusk, where she finds star maps that have notes written all over them. And the notes label things like Concord, the names of constellations, and the number of people that were living on those planets. Right. Yeah. That honestly, that boggled my mind when when Sarah wrote about that room and what was on the walls and what Bryce was seeing. Insane. Insane. I get like Star Wars vibes or like multiverse. I mean, I know we're talking about that at the end of this House of Sky and Breath recap, but like that, I don't know. When she went in there and saw that, I just immediately went like Star Wars. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was definitely giving Star Wars vibes, but right, I loved kind of like, and right, I'm a Marvel girly, but the the multiverse, like, universe is larger than you think type deal. Oh, I I was ready. I was like, (laughs) oh, here we, this is leveling up. Here we go. Yes, I love it. So we learn the Asteri have conquered other planets and other worlds and that Midgard is just another notch on this long line of conquests. And 
the Asteri are really fucking old, like 15,000 years. So they've had a long time to be nom-nomming on other planets and people's first flight. The original boomers. Gross. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love it. So then Bryce finds one note that says, Hell, lost AE17001. I don't even know how to... 17,001. Hell had apparently caught on to the Asteri's plans and fought against them and actually won, leaving them to abandon Hell and move on to other planets. They also, in Hell, learned how to conveniently slip between worlds and came to Pangaea to try to sway the inhabitants of that world to turn against the Asteri. This also, this was another, that reveal that Hell won... What a plot twist. I did Sarah's always good at those, but I did not see yeah. that at all. I was, and we already knew Adis was talking with Bryce, but I think that was an interesting, that was a crux point of of really seeing like, oh wow, hell's standing on its own. There's stuff hidden in there that we haven't even seen yet. I love that. Yeah. I really thought that we were gonna get even more of that whole underworld in House of Sky and Breath, even though we were like close to the end. I thought that's where the book was going. Obviously, we know it wasn't, but... Yep. Then just before our girl Bryce can reveal all, all the shenanigans to the team, he is caught by Regulars, a.k.a. the Bright Hand, and what we will refer to from now on as Teenage Puberty Fayboy Regulus. So he reveals to... Melina, I wrote that in the show notes and she's over here giggling. Rigolus reveals to Bryce that, sorry, not sorry, you're about to use your starborn powers and Luna's horn on your back to help us open the gates to hell and other fey-closed planets so that we can have a smorgasbord of first light that never ends. Okay, thanks. Bryce says, I'll take a rain check on that dude and winnows out of the archives to find Hunt and our boy Rune only to find them already captured by the harpy. Oh my, and this is, this is what we talk about. Like every time, every time we turn around, we can't, I can't. Why are these boys like always, anyway? Because they're always trying to run off doing some like, I don't even know, heroic shit or something. Yeah. And then. <laughs> Homeboy is like, oh, no, there's another guard. Great. Thank you. You're in. Like you didn't know they were going to be in this palace. I mean. The series like right hand henchmen. Oh, my word. Anyway, whatever. That's fine. All right. Yeah. And yeah, they they do a lot of that in House of Flame and Shadow, too. Every time I'm like, come on, guys. So all three get locked in the dungeon with the Harpy as company. And just as the Harpy goes in for the kill on Hunt, she is struck from behind by none other than the Hind, who we now know is also Agent Daybright. Um, So before they were able to escape the prison, though, Pollux, a.k.a. the Hammer, discovers the body of the Harpy and that Lydia had just killed to save Hunt. But Bryce takes the credit for the killing, and Pollux leads the crew back up the elevator to the Crystal Palace to the throne room of the Asteri. I'm free. I'm free. Dang it. Every if time. If you don't get that reference, I'm not sure we can be friends, but I love you for that. So then shit really goes down, and teenage puberty Fayboy Regulus pretended to be Adis and was the one that actually went to Bryce's apartment, which is how he knew of all their plans and was able to anticipate their every move. And then Apollyon, who is the Prince of the Pit, truly had been trying to get Bryce's attention, and he used the Death Stalkers in the Bone Quarter to test her powers. This was this was the point where I was a little I was a little salty about like. Props to Regulus for appearing as Adis did as the cat. But then for Apollyon, like, can we not just have any direct communication? Rune's directly communicating at the most inopportune times. And then the Prince of the Pit is the least direct communicative person we have in this series. And it's just, why, why, guys? Why? I mean, you know, maybe he's the only one at the pit, at the pit. Like, maybe he just lives alone and has no one to communicate Why with. Judging him for his communication skills. You know what? That's a fair point. I appreciate that. Maybe he doesn't right. understand that you have to 
not if he's eight billion years old, that's fair. He wouldn't he wouldn't know that you talk to people. Okay, I I don't. Yeah, I guess I don't know. It, I anyway, I think it just. I think it's a, a guy thing again. I think we're circling back to that. There's just no communication sense whatsoever there. But I don't talk to a lot of men as much as possible, so that's fair. <laughs> so then Celestina, who if you, you know, we call her our Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde Angel, is actually the one who snitched about Grace and Hunt lying about visiting Grace's parents because they know about her secret and forbidden relationship with hypoxia. And that the star embraces chest is actually a beacon to the world that the Fae originally came from. Hint, hint. The Asteri plan to use this to go back to the world to seek revenge on the Fae that they think are responsible for the death of their fallen brothers and sisters, as well as to drain the power and magic that the world holds. So our girl Bryce being Bryce, she tries to barter to save her mate and her brother and she agrees to open up a gate for teenage puberty fae boy Regulus, and he will then let them go unharmed. So she says goodbye to Hunt and to Rune as we ugly cry onto our books, trying not to smudge the pages. Oh, we ugly cry all the time, all the time onto our books. <laughs> yes. But our girl Bryce has her hands, her bound hands behind her back. She has undone them. Sneaky. So as we say goodbye to Rune, he then uses his special mind speak ability and tells Bryce to take the star sword with her and that we'll need armies to fight the Asteri. So he says out loud, long live the queen, which is the signal for both Bryce and Hunt to jump to action. So Bryce breaks free of her chains, grabs a star sword, forces all her power onto the teenage puberty fae boy Regulus, blasting him with starlight. Hunt then uses his lightning to hit a pillar, causing it to fall on teenage puberty fae boy Regulus and pin him down, buying our girl some more time. As Bryce runs for the door, the hammer goes after her, only to be stopped by Baxian, a.k.a. the Hellhound and Danica's mate and one of my favorites in the series. That was such a cool... T- I did not see that twist coming either. Oh, my word. And boy, is he uh, harboring some resentment over there. But yeah, hell hath no fury. But then Bryce runs from the... Uh, the- room with teenage puberty fae boy Regulus on her tail. Hunt continues to send lightning all down the corridor, all her way. And Bryce takes it in like I take in Starbucks vanilla sweet cream cold brews. Truly. What a fabulous comparison. Thank you. <laughs> she uses the last of her power to open a gate to transport her to hell, leaving Hunt and our boy Rune behind as she falls into darkness, escaping teenage puberty fae boy Regulus. And here we fucking go. Yes. Our girl lands in what she believes to be hell, and yet there's grass and birds singing. Okay, that's weird. But she calls out to Adis, begging for help. And she sees a winged male and asks him to take her to Adis. But his attention is drawn to the star sword lying beside her in the grass. So the winged male blindfolds her, flies her to a house, and then takes the blindfold off. Uh, and again, here, would would not be mad. Would not be mad in the slightest. I get not, like, understanding him, but not... I mean, not- if you look like these men, I don't honestly care really what you do to me, do I? No. no. I would I would be like, oh, sure, please pick me up. <laughs> I'd be thrilled. <laughs> Blindfold? That sounds fun. <laughs> yep. Just another piece. And at this point, Bryce is as confused as I was during high school and college physics, which is pretty fucking confused. (laughs) So the male in front of her is speaking a foreign language and more people start entering the room that she's in, including a little tiny female who Bryce thinks resembles Fury, as well as more Faye who are all dressed in fantastic old timey clothing. Old timey. I know I couldn't think of it. (laughs) I said it. I couldn't think of another word. (laughs) <laughs> old fashioned. I like it. Now old timey. Be I old like it. Let's Let's bring thing. that back. Let's make a t-shirt. Old timey. Old timey. I like it. Uh, the Fury lookalike notices the star sword and the first male draws his dagger. 
And guess what? The blades are twinsies, black-hilded and bladed. The petite female calls the star sword Gwydion. Is that how you say it? Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I think that's how I pronounced it. I feel like my brain changes it on me every now and again. (laughs) That sounded right. (laughs) Gwydion. Gwydion. Yeah. First one's good. (laughs) Okay. Bryce uses her slim knowledge of the ancient language. Remember, she, you know, dealt in antiquities back in Jessica's shop. And so she tries to communicate with the lookalike Fury and recognizes the old language. So she claims the old tongue of the Fae, this lookalike Fury, hasn't been spoken there for 15,000 years. And wait, that's the same amount of time that the Asteri have been stuck in Midgard. Another wink, wink, hint, hint. So Bryce, yeah. We got to talk about that coming up. Yes, ma'am. Bryce asks asks what world she's in when a dark-haired male enters the room who looks exactly like our boy, Rune. What a plot twist that we didn't see coming. I I, I think I shrieked at this point. I think I was making weird noises. I was... Very excited. Yes. And our girl tries to explain again that she has come to this world to find help for Midgard and that she's trying to find help. God damn it. (laughs) So a female with tattooed hands asks Bryce a question in the old language. And the petite female who speaks the old language translates and asks Bryce her name. And so Bryce responds. And the translation is, my name is Bryce Quinlan. The male stepped forward, tucking in his wings. He smiled slightly and said in the old language in a voice like glorious night, hello, Bryce Quinlan. My name is Recent. I remember sitting in my room in February of 2022 and losing my entire shit. I was absolutely oh. losing. I, I, didn't, I didn't throw my book because that's not how I live my life. But yeah. I, I remember making like out loud, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is incredible. This is incredible. Yes. Losing it. I was screaming. I was like, and you had finished it before I did. So I was like frantically texting you going, oh my God. I cannot believe, because right, we didn't have any hint of a crossover before that. So we, I mean. I just- didn't know of one. Like, I mean, did you hear anything? I don't think we knew that it was coming. Not that I can remember. Yeah. And so, right, like she lands in the grass and it's by the river and there's a city. So like you got, I could just feel it building, but oh my word, when he introduces himself, I just, right, yes. that, this all, all of us died right on the spot. Yes, we just expired. And okay, SJM, make us wait two freaking years for the next book after that ending. Like, I was salty about that. Rude. Rude. If I ever meet her in person, I will probably fall to my knees and worship her. But then I will probably yell at her about this particular point. Yes. Please don't do that with the next one. Even though I know we're getting Akatar 5 in the meantime. But, you know, can we just... Keep it moving. We're going to do something. Yeah. If you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo, and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions. And really and truly, thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you. All right. So here we go. House of Flame and Shadow. We go. So we start with a prologue, which I'm surprised at how long the prologue was. Like I was just, I I don't know. Usually I think of a prologue as like maybe three to four pages, but this one's a lot. Yeah, that that was a surprise. You texted me and said, all right, I'm starting on that. And then I felt like, respectfully it was a long time when you were like okay I'm on chapter one and I'm like okay that took yeah. <laughs> you just say it like it is Melina like oh my god why is she so fucking slow oh, well you're not at all slow no that was not what I was trying to say no I know I know it, it did take it took a little bit longer than I was expecting <laughs> it did yes I, I'll I'll claim that one yeah so it's a long prologue 
is. Moving on. We open up two days after the events of House of Sky and Breath. We're still in the throne room in the Crystal Palace in the Eternal City. Behind and the Hammer are in the Asteri throne room along with Autumn King. I say Enar. I don't know how you say it. I said it. Great. I love that for us. Great. A.K.A. Bryson Rune's dad, A.K.A. Autumn Scum, and Faye King Morven, A.K.A. Cormac's dad, and another Faye Scum. And I'm wondering, too, like, Sarah really must not like Autumn as a season in general, because, like, all the Autumn people in her books are just oh really... God, not think about that. that. I don't know. Like, I just... It kind of yeah. just... I don't know. Yeah, because the Autumn... The Autumn Lord in Akatar is a yeah, dick. Yeah, he's a dick. Yeah. Worst. And his sons, so. Really? Although, mm, we don't um, Hey, we said spoilers, so. We did. Hey, yeah, everyone. I don't want to hear anybody being salty about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought about that as I was, like, reading this prologue again, and I thought, maybe our girl SJM really doesn't, like, fall i mean i like fall but hey to each their own that's such an interesting point i love that you pointed that out i did not think about that at all yeah so anyway sjm you were saying you don't like fall so call (laughs) us up tell us that we're wrong got it (laughs) we'll die on the spot but the asteri are grilling these vikings on whether or not they knew of their son's involvement in the break-in of the palace as well as what went down in the lab when Poor Cormac blew himself to smithereens and killed Pippa and the mech suits in the process. So R.I.P. Cormac. Morvan disowns Cormac's action, saying that he acted of his own accord. He had no knowledge of his son's treason. And if he did, he would have handed them over, handed him over to the Asteri himself. So our favorite teenage puberty Fayboy Regulus is here, and he pretty much calls Morvan a liar. Oh, yeah. No, wait. He actually does. Um, but Morvan insists that he doesn't know anything about his son's treachery, and he vows that he will have no grave, no burial, no ship <clears throat> to sail him to the Summerlands, and that his name will be wiped from the records of the royal house. Nothing like really committing to the bit on that one. <laughs> right? Goodness. Like, yeah, my son blew himself up. I'm going to stand here and disown him and then tell you that I'm not even going to have a sailing for him and his name will be wiped from the records. I love it. Like, do we really like Regulus that much to like do this to our son? It's such a, yeah, it's such a statement on like the level of cowardice that that male has. It's just, and I think it says too, I like that it pointed out like Lydia, even for a minute before she had to put the hind mask, quote unquote, back on. She feels so bad for Cormac. That's his dad. It's just the cowardice is unbelievable, but it's such a good example of these fey males and how unbelievably shallow and cowardly they are. Yeah, for sure. So Polaris, the North Star, then states that there won't be a ship sailing for Cormac to the Summerlands because he blew himself up. So there probably isn't a body or soul to send on. And then we learn that the Asteri cannot pierce the mist that Shroud Avalon, that's how I say it, and Lydia is thinking in her head that, well, this knowledge has never really been tested. So that's interesting. And then it's Inar's turn. Inar? Inar? I don't know how I said it the first time, but that's how I'm saying it now. It's his turn to get roasted. And the Asteri ask him to explain the actions of his son, our boy Rune. But Inar says that Rune has always been a wild child. And yay for that. And says Bryce lured him into this mess. And he also disowns both of them classic like we didn't see that coming and i love that of course he blamed it on bryce yeah why why wouldn't he oh my word so meanwhile pollock still thinks bryce killed the harpy and so he tells anar that wherever bryce went when she gets back he's going to do the same thing to her that she did to the harpy but anar says he doesn't know where bryce went and that he does know though where his son is and he says where he deserves to be which Again, like, I cannot imagine a father, like, saying that of their child at any time, no matter what they did. 
Truly. It is horrendous. Well, and Morvan's earlier comment about, I tried to beat it out of him. I mean, Sarah's yeah. just setting up the just disgustingness of these two males. Ugh. During this talk of Rune, the hind really has to work to keep her emotions in check. And as Melina stated earlier, killer face mode enacted with her mask. And then Inar actually finally learns that our girl Bryce is actually no longer in Midgar. He learns that teenage puberty fay boy Regulus are from him, that the information that Bryce escaped to another world is absolutely not to be shared with anyone implied you shall be killed. So then a silver bell rings to signal the next meeting. I don't know about you. I'm picturing like I grew up Catholic. But I also am a huge fan of Downton Abbey. So I'm picturing like a little tiny ringing bell that they like summon the servants with. I don't know. Is that what you pictured when you read this? I loved, yeah, like the little, what? I can't think of what movie it is, but she picks up the, it's like real tiny, right? And it's, yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of Pocahontas. Doesn't he have oh, a yeah. bell? Like, yeah. and then I just like expect Percy to like come out of the woodwork. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. Your next, oh my God, Percy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So that basically dismisses our two fey scumbag kings, leaving behind the hind and the hammer still kneeling on the throne room floor. So their turn is next. Our teenage puberty fey boy Regulus asks them how the interrogations are going, which at this point. We kind of know who he's talking about as far as interrogating. And the hind states that they are still in the opening movements, but that she will get them to break. And teenage puberty fae boy Regulus has complete faith in her, dismisses them both to do whatever the hell they want to do. And, you know, that's kind of what these evil parasite old god creatures do, I guess. Well, as the hind... And Pollux walk down the palace hall to the dungeons. Pollux asks Lydia if he thinks Bryce really went to hell, but Lydia dismisses it, saying that she'll show up again someday because her mate is still in Midgard. So she's thinking as they walk about Ophion's failure, her failure, the rebellion's failure to destroy the mech suits and the lab, and that the metal army is now stationed atop Mount Hermon which is the same place that Hunt and Shahar had staged their first and final battle of their rebellion. So it's all like deja vu, I guess. Mm -hmm. But when they reach the dungeons, Pollux asks the Hind if she's keeping Rune and Hunt alive to try and bait Bryce to come back. And she says yes. So as they enter, Lydia again completely shuts down, turns the emotions off, dons the Hind mask, and we find Hunt and Baxian hanging from the ceiling by Gorsian shackles. They've been tortured. Their backs are bleeding onto the cold floor. Like the descriptions in this were just, and even I guess like all of House of Flame and Shadow, like the descriptions of the torture were really, really vivid for me. I was going to say that. I thought it was such an interesting, this, this book really felt like she described much more of the darker side right like the details it was it just had a much darker vibe um yeah I think that was really speaking to you know the violence that these overlords and tyrants are allowing to fester in this kingdom of theirs um, but yeah I mean she yeah Sarah did not hold back on on some of the really like gory, intense details. Yeah. I would say like, if you haven't read it yet, like that's a trigger warning. I mean, there is a lot of gore and a lot of gore on page. And so I think that people should know that going into it. Cause I think that is different than, at least I thought it was different than a lot of her other books up till this. I would agree. I think it's, um, I mean, she's always, I mean, right. There's, there's violence in these books and as, as, yeah. It's, world as well but this one really i think was was poignant and much more intense yeah for sure pollux wakes up hunt telling him that it's a beautiful day and begins mercilessly slashing him with a whip lydia even though she doesn't want to she looks at the third person hanging from the ceiling in the dungeon which is our boy rune when he lets out a cruel laugh to the words from pollux 
So Lydia tries to reach him via her mind using his call sign night. And I'm already crying because I just, I cannot with these two. Like they are just the sweetest babes and I don't want anything bad to happen to them. (laughs) Oh, this was so rough. I know. Every time I was like, no. (laughs) Then can we please just get a little bit of happiness for some of these characters? So she's been trying to communicate with him, you know, ever since they entered the palace way back in House of Sky and Breath. But our boy Rune refuses to talk. And just gives her this bloody snarl. Which I know everybody has differing opinions on this. I am not mad about any of the snarling. I think that's hot. Go for it. You're, however tall, apparently attractive as all get out. Some of the fan art, P.S. shout out to our Instagram page that Charlie has incredibly good at uh, facilitating this, this past week. That... One fan art of Rune sold oh my you God. Follow me all day, all day. Yes, yes. I will. I will say thank you and come back for more. Yes, <laughs> that was incredible. I will definitely. I can't remember. I don't want to get it wrong, so I will put the artist name of that fan art on our Instagram page in the show notes because I definitely want to credit them because it is incredible. Yes, thank you. Yeah, always want to credit the artists. So yes, whoever you are, thank thank you on behalf yes. of us and my brand. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes, that is now possibly my phone background. We're not going to talk about that. But. <laughs> incredible news. What a big yes. reveal. I love that. Uh, You know, we always throw those Easter eggs in here. So here we go. Pollock's phone rings and it's Mordok. He is now the Heinz captain. Remember, he's Danica's deadbeat dad. So he's now reporting to Pollux and the Hind since he, Pollux, commandeered the Dreadwolves to search for Bryce since they can't find her. So while Pollux is momentarily distracted on the phone, Lydia again turns to Rune and in her mind says his name, but he doesn't answer. So she does the whole palm in front of the face, goes hind once again. And when Pollux gets off the phone, she tells him to get the barbed wire instead. End scene. And I was glad we ended the scene because I did not want to read about them. That, that, that hurt enough. Yeah, I did not need any more of that. Oh, yeah. Like I said, that's the prologue here, people. Like that's a that's a long prologue. That ha- a lot happens there. So prologue, agreed. I'm justifying my slow reading pace once again. <laughs> I I'm never bringing that up again. <laughs> I have a complex, but no, you are such a fast reader, though, Melina. Honestly, like she is just like I read fast, but this girl just is like hyperspeed. I don't even get it. I feel so behind when it comes to reading with you. It's like my one like super talent that I have. Unfortunately, it does not apply to like real life books. So like textbooks Mm -hmm. were a no-go, but fantasy books, I can read and comprehend like incredibly quickly. So, you know, you win some, lose some over here. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) We finally get to chapter one, which um, yes, I did make it there, Melina. Thank you. Uh, but Bryce is in a cell under the... I'm just giving you a hard time. I hope you know that. Oh, yeah. Bryce is in a cell under the Hewn City being questioned by Amarin, Oz, and Reese. And we're still fangirling over this crossover. 100% fangirling over this. Correct. So at first, our girl Bryce decides that she's just going to make shit up about Midgard because as... But as is, um, you know, ability to call her out on her lies pretty much puts an end to that. So she gives them like little bits and pieces and tells them about the Asteri, tells them they know about this world. Reese disagrees, but Amran states, and I love Amran like always just putting Reese in his place to be like, you don't, I know. She's like, yeah, they actually do know about us, uh, but here we just call them the Daglin. Reese immediately, like, his face goes pale and he winnows away and he comes back with the Veritas Orb. So, in my mind, this is like SJM's pensive from HP, Harry Potter. Is that what you get? I loved that you made that connection. I thought that was so cool. That, I didn't put it together that same way, but as soon as you said that, that makes a ton of sense to me. I I love that comparison. That's a great one. Thank you. 
So Bryce puts all her memories of the wars, the weapons, you know, the mech suits, the battlefields, the guns, as far as like her dad, Randall, teaching her how to shoot, throws it all into the orb, lets Reese see it, and also lets her him see a teenage puberty fayboy Regalus shooting down the hall at her as she thought she was going through the gate to hell and then ended up in Prithian. She then tells Reese and the Asteri that all of this doom is coming to Prithian. And then we channel our Alice in Wonderland era because Amarin gives Bryce a silver bean that she has to swallow that will translate the mother tongue and allow her to speak it well. So I have a thought on this because I thought at the end of House in Sky and Brock, like Bryce can speak this language, right? Or am I totally like not remembering? No, I was trying to think about this too. So her, right. She can, they can communicate a little bit in this like old language, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe not enough to like, I don't know. Right. To make it, I guess they're just getting like very general ideas in terms. I mean, to be fair, that's like me with, I took however many years of Spanish. I had way too many years of Spanish and I can like sing happy birthday and tell you like vegetables, but that's about it. So I'm assuming the magic bean actually <laughs> helped with like grammar. <laughs> then of course, so again, my Disney brain thinks about the Mickey and the beanstalk bean. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't take this seriously. I know. I just, I don't know. I, I think that we needed something other than a magic bean to, I don't know. I acted like I was like smoking weed while I was reading this because I was just cackling. Like it was just so oh. funny to me. I just could not, like you said, I could not take it seriously. And I get like oh. having to, you know, bridge the divide with the languages. Like, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. I, I would have loved like, I don't know, like magic. I don't know. Yeah. The, the magic bean just really <laughs> kind of threw me for a loop. Like, isn't that a whole point? Uh, like, help. Like, he's got the mind thing. Can they not figure it out, like, brain to brain? I don't right. Know. I don't know. Moving on from our magic bean, I, you know, hopefully it, it worked. Okay, it worked. So, you know, she swallows it. She falls to the floor. She has this, like, lightning cleaving her brain type feeling, which that sounds painful, but... um. Az isn't sure what's going on, so he's, like, poised over her, ready to strike with Truth Teller. Amran, of course, calls him out again, tells him to put it away, because the dagger calls to Bryce. Bryce feels the knowledge of the new language, you know, stinging throughout her body, and then realizes that the letters in the horn on her back, which say, through love, all is possible— are reacting to whatever had been in the bean spell and her mark starts glowing. So Amran turns to Reese and says the glowing letters inked on her back, they're the same as those in the Book of Breathings. All three surround her and as says, explain or you die. End of chapter. Dun, dun, dun. And scene. <laughs> what did you think overall of this prologue and... Chapter one, House of Flame and Shadow. I like, I was really thinking about, so the prologue really gives us that glimpse into what's happening back on Midgard and seeing kind of what Rune and Hunt and Baxian are going through. And then chapter one gives us this really good look at now where our girl Bryce is on on Prithian and what's happening here. I appreciate that she got, I mean, we ended Sky and Breath on on our crossover, right? So getting quickly back into that, I think was, because that's what we, again, we waited two years for this. Like, yeah, now what's happening with the crossover characters? So this was a really solid opening for me, I felt like. Yeah, I, I liked it too. Like I said, I, I did appreciate, I mean, as much as I make fun of the prologue being longer than normal, I did really appreciate it because I liked the way that it really set up where we were, like you said, just right after House of Sky and Breath. And then also we see Lydia really still trying to bridge that connection with Rune and make up for the she's done some really shitty things to him and he's just not having it. And so I appreciate that it was done in such a way that like, yeah, it's not going to be like a quick fix. It's not going to be a clean, convenient, you know, 
I love you again. Not I love you, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, you know, we're not falling right back into it. And this whole book really, like, there's not a ton of romance, not like we're used to with some SJM's earlier stuff, which I kind of appreciate. I mean, I definitely love, you know, the romance in it and stuff, but I do really like the fact that we got a lot of plot, even in these first, the prologue and chapter one. Like, I think we, she really started off with a bang. Absolutely. I think that's such a really cool instance for me of it's important that those complexities are are brought to light with Lydia having just kind of like code switch between being the hind and seeing, you know, this guy that she has very intense feelings for that, you know, we're all like, okay, please love him. That's fine. Um, but like, I mean, if you don't, girl, like I'm next in line. So really, sign us up immediately. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I think too, like the courage, I think I'm going back to also the parallels of Lydia's courage of being in that trauma and doing what she has to do versus, um, and I keep going back to this, a cowardice of mm-hmm. the two fey kings who just dipped as soon as the Asteri were interrogating them and disowned everybody. And I think that parallel as well. And I mean, as as we know, SJM is so great at, our, our female character is the one holding the courage and the two males are the ones who are the cowards really starting off. I mean, that's what we've come to expect, but it never gets old. Yeah, no, definitely not. It never will. So I have, I have questions and you're more of like the, you know, you do so good with like the details of these books. Uh, Do we think that, because when Bryce meets Reese, right? And then as in Corinthian, she immediately notices like his, black hair and his violet blue eyes and she makes a reference in her head that like oh my gosh this looks just like rune and let's preface this by saying like we're gonna talk about these chapters as if like we haven't read further on in the book what do we think about rune's relation to as or reese like is there one yeah i think everybody who read sky and breath right and and earth and blood we're we're saying rune has dark hair and the blue eyes and the shadows. So, you know, when the crossover did happen at the end of Sky and Breath, I think there's always that hope or theory that there's some relation. But then I think we think about there's that 15,000 year gap, right? So are we from the same place? Are we actually related? Is there like a distinctive, you know, generational line there? I think that's what we're waiting to discover because, right, she, she sees Rise and goes, oh, my gosh, it's Rune. And we know that as uh, and Cassian look somewhat like like Rise does. Should we throw it? I think we should throw it out there now in episode one that, like, Melina is, she's Kaz all the way, right? Like, that's your guy. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a, honestly, it, like, as I, like, eat oh, okay, okay. Older, I'm like, if if Rise is not in the picture, it's Cass. Mm, okay, after that's fair. Rise <laughs> not like Rise always wins of the three, but if it's just Cass versus As, Cass all the way for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna send you those TikTok videos with the heads, and then you can pick. Great plan. Yeah. Who are you? Which I was surprised, like, because I think I saw one of Sarah do it. Oh, I'm going to have to put it like, and it was between like Reese and um, Rowan. And I think she ended up picking Reese because, you know, I think we all think that she based him off of her husband, you know? So every time I see a picture of him, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Be most respectfully, but right. (laughs) I guess we'll find out more about that connection if there is one down the road but like Lydia torturing these three males in the dungeon I just I don't know how you do that I'm thinking of like okay what if I had to torture my husband hanging up there or like you have to torture a best friend I just I don't know how she does that I don't know how she flips that switch I think that yeah for me and this goes into a little bit and I'm sure I'll bring this up in later episodes I always um and i get like a little i think i've talked to you about this i get a little salty these 
uh, beings that we're reading about, like they're not humans. They're not mm-hmm. like 21st century human beings in America. So I think for me holding that in my head of everything, all of that is so different. Um, I think that for me is always important to keep in mind. But I think to your point, I guess you have to, I don't know if I could do it. You turn your brain off, but if it's to save them eventually, like I guess you would, do you tell yourself the end justifies the means type deal? Like, Yeah, yeah I was just going to you say that. Yourself to, I would do it, I guess, to save them. Would it intrinsically break a piece of who I am? I absolutely think so. Again, like there's that trauma piece that comes into it. Yeah. I think that's a great point though that you brought up as far as like just remembering that and I need to do this too. Like in a lot of fantasy books is remember that, yeah, these really aren't humans. So attaching human emotions or human responses to them like a hundred percent isn't always the right thing to do or like the best thing to do. Right and wrong really doesn't apply. But yeah, I think that's a great point because I tend to think of it more humanistically, I think that I don't know, is that a word? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's our it's our show. It's a word. I need to not do that as much so that I can look at it more as they're doing it or she's doing it to save them. And maybe I would in that instance for sure. Oh, I was just gonna say the other interesting piece to that is too, I think, and we were giggling about this earlier with the snarling, like they are more animalistic, right? That's yes, yeah. Frankly, that's half of what makes them really hot. Like, right, I don't want Bob down at the bar on the corner to be snarling at me. Snarl. In the face. <laughs> but we're talking about fey, right? They're not human, yeah. they're fey. And so I think that holds a whole different, it's an intrinsic piece that's communicating for them. Yes. It's just something else. I don't know. I always see everyone's like, they're always snarling. And I'm like, Right, they're not ma- they're not dudes that you're gonna find. Right. Like, right, this is they're they they're a whole separate species, and it's yeah. Not- like you had made a good point in the show notes in our outline before we started. Bryce being down in that cell in the Hewn City, and then you know we get the mention of creatures down below, which we reference in Silver Flames. So I think that's a really good point to bring up because obviously it translates into later chapters in the book. But I love how Sarah set that up. And I honestly had not reread Silver Flames prior to this. And so, you know, when you brought that up, going through our outline, I was like, oh yeah, that's a great point. So I want you to kind of take that and run with it a little bit. I think I just, I was, uh, my brain, my brain flagged that as, because I did try to attempt to real quick do my reread of Silver Flames. Amazing. Um, But I remember that um, particularly towards the end of Silver Flames, when Az and Az and Cass have the Autumn Court soldiers that they were, they were just in the bog, Nesta got the mask from the Kelpie, like all of that. Cass and Az killed most of them and then brought two back to interrogate into this cell, I think, at the Hewn City. So that- Oh, yeah. Because it talks specifically about the creatures down below snarling like under the gate where some of mm-hmm. the down. So I thought that was an interesting note of we know that it's this cell then. So oh my gosh, I would have never put that together. Like that's why I, I need you. What my brain does. Well, you set this entire thing up. So my brain <laughs> remembers slight details of my fantasy novels. But I Love think it. it it sets the scene too for Bryce is not, they're not sitting in the living room, right? Bryce is in the cell in the Hewn City. They're not around with this. I think that was such an interesting, interesting piece for Sarah to set, set that scene up. So I, my theory when I was reading this chapter in real time was when Amrin says the lettering on the back of, of Bryce with the, etched in the horn that tattoo lettering is the same as the book of breathings and Mm -hmm. i and this is going to sound really silly if we've already talked about this and or it's already been proven in in akatar 
but we don't know what that language is, right? I always assumed that it was. I don't think so. I didn't think we did either. So my assumption is still standing of, I think they're word marks from Throne of Glass. That to me, yeah. language of opening portals, right? We saw, mm-hmm. we saw Selena, Aelin do that in the Throne of Glass series with the blood and the word marks. Honestly, my gosh, in, in literally in Throne of Glass, the first one. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's, I I really am waiting to see how that plays out. Because um, I, what, it, like, we already did a one crossover, right? So, like, come on. Like, I'm I'm just <laughs> waiting for a third crossover or a second. And see, like, I'm in the opposite court because I want, like, Throne of Glass to just be its own entity, right? I just kind of want, I don't know, maybe that's, like, the purest in me, but I just am like, oh, just leave them alone. I don't want them in this house. But like, yeah, because they like, know. like they suffered enough type deal. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I so get that. But I think my thing is one, I'm just obsessed with that series, like to the end. Yeah. But also, maybe my thing now is to if we've already brought one in, are we just going to bring the other one in? Like, are you really going to leave? Know. Yeah. Third, the odd man out here, but. <laughs> We shall have to see. We shall have to Ugh. see. I mean, I wouldn't be mad about it. I wouldn't. I would just be like, please protect my right. babies and right. don't. This is where our thing of, I think you and I are similar in this. I don't care if we get to the end of the book and all 85 main characters are still alive. Do no. not care. Yeah. It's the ending yeah. all day, every day. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm going to throw in that reference to like fourth wing. Because we killed off like a spoiler alert, sorry. We kill off a main character in that book. And I just was like, I I thought it was way too soon. Like I was not, I don't think that was come at me. I don't think that was the right thing to do. I'm not saying never kill off a main character, but I think the characters that Sarah has set up in all these series, like I don't know how you would do it without any of them, really. Right. I think that's what's so interesting to me too. And especially I mean, we've we've introduced the concepts of of mates, you know, we saw at the end of Silver Flames, you cannot kill off Rise without killing off Feyre. Um, yeah, Nyx is now in the picture, but Cassian and Nesta. Once you link them, are you going to get rid of both of them then, or are you just right. going to live forever in mental, emotional, spiritual torment? Wow, thank you. That's- yeah, I mean that brings up a good point about like Baxian, you know, because he obviously lost his mate, and we'll get into this in later episodes as far as being the shapeshifter phase and stuff. So I don't know, maybe that is a different level of the mating bond, but I mean, obviously he's still like just completely tortured over it and will be for as long as he's alive. So yeah, I just I don't know how you I don't know how we you would do that with these characters i don't either which is fine with me like just keep keep them all i'm attached attached to all of them thank you yes right because i don't think we i don't think i always connect with all of them but i do love and that's always been one of sarah's strongest points i mean the characters always now there's some similarities sure but the characters always stand on their own and i feel like have their own voice ethan is the jock mm, but but he's so i but he's a little small small babe and therian i mean therian's like the party boy like goofy whatever i could see other authors making them much more similar yeah. and they're not at all they stand completely on their own and rune is different from deck and flynn and they could all be you know, quote unquote, similar male characters. So yeah. I think it's so really cool of the diversity of the of the characters that we get. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we do like setting up the next episodes. I mean, we get everybody in this one, right? So we're constantly bouncing around POVs, but yet I didn't mind it. I know some people did, but like to me, it was really interesting and just kind of kept the pace going in such a way that I was constantly entertained as per usual in these books. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, final thoughts on prologue and chapter one. So I was real, real excited. I mean, as we said, waited two years to get into this. I got to dive right in. I think we started off really strong. I think we have our two 
two separate worlds set up and each taking their own adventures from there. Um, so I'm really excited to get into into the next ones. How about you? Yeah, I really appreciated the prologue and everything that it gave us. And then I also think that starting out obviously with Bryce, because we wanted to know what happened to her when she landed in Prithian. So giving us that tidbit right off the bat, as far as waiting the two years was, thank you, Sarah, put us out of our misery. I'm just, I'm really excited to see where all these characters go and how the crossover happens. So stick with us for the next episode where we are going to dive into chapters two through six. Hope you join us for the next one. Yeah, thanks for this first one. We had a lot of fun doing it. And yeah, join us for the next and you'll get get more references from us, more info and much more laughs. Yes. <laughs> I think we need to bring alcohol to the next one. We can do that. It's our show. I was going to say, I have my Diet Coke in my massive mug. I'll yes, to- let's see that. Put that up to the screen. Oh, Look at that oh, amazing no. mug. I'm fully booked. Disney and Amen. All in one. This mug is like the size of my head, but. Yes, we need to add that to the Instagram just for size reference so people can. I will, I will selfie for our first first recording in my massive Diet Coke mug. <laughs> that does not have any rum in it yet. Yeah, we'll remedy that. Just stay with us. We'll remedy that. (laughs) All right. We will see you in the next episode. If you love Romanticy Fangirls and want to support us in making this dream our livelihood, if you want more bookish content, more community, discounts on merch, early access and ad-free episodes, live monthly Q&As with us, book bingo and more, please check out our Patreon. We have two membership tiers, The Drop and Starborn. The link is in the show notes or YouTube captions and really and truly thank you for helping us bring these episodes to you.